Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to Commanding the Huddle following Washington's Week 13 loss to the Miami Dolphins, 45-15 at home. Again, in Week 13, Washington is now heading into the bye week, much-needed bye week. For a lot of us, we wish the bye week maybe could last until the season is over. Right now, for looking at the burgundy and gold, the commanders, and what the immediate path is forward for this football team. Is Ron Rivera here when Washington lines up two weeks from now, out in L.A. against the Rams? Who knows? We'll see. We heard from ownership that potentially Ron could just kind of play it out, I guess. I guess he quote-unquote deserved the opportunity to remain the coach in Washington because of whatever reasons that may be. But we're in a state of the franchise right now, guys, where a lot of context is needed to a lot of the stuff that we saw in the football field today, but also where you start to doubt everybody, right? You're trying to search for positives and you're trying to think about the future campaigns as to what you can really hang your hat on. And when you allow 45 in back-to-back weeks, you lose Brian Robinson at halftime, Terry McLaurin goes without a catch for only the second time in his career, right? In 76 career games, he's held without a catch today. So credit to Miami's defense, right? The corner tandem of Jalen Ramsey and Xavier Howard and that secondary that was without Javon Holland. The front four for Miami made life hell all day long for Sam Howell, as we've seen all year long from Washington's side of things. It just was ugly again. And Washington is now 4-9. and nine. And again, they are now on the bye week. Again, the last bye of any team in football. I believe the Cardinals as well have a bye next week. They're the lone two teams that have yet to have their bye. And again, that comes next week before Washington travels out to face the LA Rams at SoFi Stadium in two weeks. And then they go on the road again back to MetLife where they've already lost the season, of course, against the Giants earlier in the year to face the New York Jets, who at that time, who knows if, if Aaron Rodgers... It might be playing for New York at that time. Who knows? He's, they've already opened up his practice window. He looks like he's going to make an, a Herculean recovery from his injury and potentially play here in the 2023 season. But I'm not looking forward that far. I'm trying to take this really hour by hour with the Washington Commanders and try to provide some context for you guys as to what happened today. And I know we've asked ourselves that question really the last month and a half of the season to where Washington every single week, it, they're not even competing. Right, and this is another ugly loss. You are down seventeen nothing at the end of the first quarter. You're not even giving yourself a chance to play. It's all three phases. There's fingers to point of blame, right? And we've been saying that for weeks. This organization right now is completely inept, and that starts at the top all the way down. There's not someone where you can look at and say, "Yeah, there's some positivity there. There's something to." Be excited about. And the last couple weeks, I've been trying to stay positive towards the offensive side of the football. I think even times today, as you move forward in that second quarter and third quarter, there were times to where Sam Howell, after the Andrew Van Ginkle pick six on the excellent play on the screenplay, comes right down and scores. And then later in that game, they, they score. And then Washington comes right down and scores in the Sam Howell touchdown. Washington's only two touchdowns today came via Sam Howell on the ground. I believe he's one of four or five Washington quarterbacks in history. It was RG3, Kirk Cousins, Mark Rippon, Doug Williams, and I believe Joe Theismann did it as well. As far as guys 
quarterbacks in Washington that have rushed for two or more rushing touchdowns in a single game. So that was pretty cool for Sam. But 45 points, again, you've allowed 90 in the last two weeks. And Jack Del Rio, right? I'm sure he was smiling his backside off today watching Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, Devon Achan run around all day long for this Dolphins offense. Tua Tungavailoa basically didn't even play the fourth quarter. You saw Mike White in there with nine minutes left in the game. It's not even competitive. There was Miami was running a preseason offense and defense for most of the fourth quarter, while Washington still had their starters out. And by the way, they scored on a fourth and goal up 23 to make it 45-10 late in that ballgame. They were up 23 in fourth and goal, and they ran it in your face. A little pitch to HN outside of the fringes of the, the offensive line. It's arrogance, it's confidence, but this is the NFL. There's no mercy rule. This is not trying to not run up the score. You can do whatever you want. And their backups, except for a lot of guys that were still only on the offensive line, but tight ends, skill players, they were off the field. It was backups. It was guys like River Craycraft on the perimeter. It was Alec Ingold. Those were the guys that were out there, and they were still just churning clock at the end of that football game. And scoring. It's sad. It's embarrassing. It's disgusting. Washington right now, because of this loss today, has the fourth overall pick in the 2024 NFL Draft. Now, I know some of you out there are thinking quarterback. Is it you're in a spot at four, guys, to where you put you could potentially have your shot at a Caleb Williams or Drake May? For me, on my QB board, which will be finalized here as we move forward into this pre-draft process in the coming months, but right now, an early top three quarterbacks for me, it is Caleb Williams and Drake May, 1A, 1B, and Jaden Daniels. QB3 from LSU, who's going to be an electric offensive playmaker at the NFL level. Now, does he go at four in this year's draft? We will see. Those are a lot of conversations, a lot of evaluations to be finalized. Again, my final boards for all positions will be finalized as we move forward into these next few months towards the pre-draft showcases. But now with the college football playoffs set, there's a lot of conversations to be had about that as well. Draft boards are going to be finalized. Guys are going to start officially declaring. Guys that are lined for bowl games outside of the CFP aren't going to play in those games. They're going to be preparing for the draft. So there's a lot of conversations to be had about where ultimately Washington's going to go on day one in 2024 because they need offensive line help massively, right? You need to keep Sam Howell upright. But does Eric Bieniemy and potentially new head coach, right? Do they think that Sam is the guy? I've said it for a long time. I like Sam Howell. I do. I still do. And I believe he should be the guy. And you don't need to spend a high pick like that on a quarterback. Could you? Absolutely. If Washington Brass does not think Sam Howell is the guy, then they're going to move on. No matter what they've seen. Because ownership did not take Sam Howell. And a potential new head coach, or if Eric Bieniemy potentially is promoted to head coach, he was not here. When Washington took took Sam Howell, excuse me. So as the massive ups that we've seen from Sam this year, he was not good today. This offense was not good as a whole. Sam Howell, 12 for 23, 127 yards in that lone interception for a pick six. Three straight games now, he has a pick six. Right Today with Andrew Van Ginkle, 
last week on Thanksgiving to Deron Bland and the week prior against the Giants to Isaiah Simmons late in that fourth quarter. So that's not good. But there are ups and downs and a lot of things to put into context here with the offensive line where he has no time at all. Washington's offense in that first quarter was extremely horizontal, meaning they had no time to do anything vertically as to why Jahan Dotson, Curtis Samuel, Terry McLaurin were rather uninvolved, all of them. You look at those three guys, Sam, Curtis Samuel had four catches for 65 yards, Jahan had two for 23. And again, I mentioned at the top, Terry had three targets, no catches. So in total, they had 13 targets, but they only caught six. So less than 50% of their targets, those three, the big three in Washington on the perimeter, the amount of targets that they caught, less than 50%. It just wasn't good. I mentioned Bryant Robinson went out at halftime, didn't play in the second half because of a hamstring. He looked good at times in the first half, had his longest run of the year of 29 yards. Seven carries, had 7.6 yards a pop on the ground. Love to see it. 53 yards. Washington's offense ran for over 100 yards this week. Good. That's where their offense has to stem from as they move forward into the next potential year or two. Because Brian Robinson's a really good young back. Just got to stay in the football field. Antonio Gibson, I don't know if he's going to be here moving forward. I really don't know. Chris Rodriguez, they drafted him on day three. Obviously a guy that Eric Bieniemy liked. A Martin Mayhew liked. But who knows, ultimately... Who is going to be here moving in to 2024? And that's the question with everything. Because whoever was taken the last three or four drafts, right, since Ron Rivera has been in town, who knows if they are going to be here? You heard the broadcast today talk about how Curtis Samuel's done a really nice job these last few weeks. He has, but the guy's a free agent. Washington is expected to have the most or the second most cap space moving into free agency in 2024. Currently, they have the most cap space in the NFL, which is going to allow them to be creative and pay guys a lot, right? But you're having to think about how much you're going to pay Cam Curl. Do you want Kendall Fuller back? Do you want Curtis Samuel back? A couple other free agents that are expected to hit the open market. Do you want those guys back? Or are you going to spend a lot in free agency? Are you going to spend medium amount but bring in potentially six, seven, eight new guys? And then how do you draft? Because as much as we've talked about Washington's draft picks, right? High day one pick as of now, potential really high day two pick with the Bears pick, right? That second rounder that you traded for Montez Sweat, then your own second rounder, and then the picks beyond that. But you got to learn how to evaluate and you got to learn how to draft in the first place before you ever get excited about what picks you have. So there's so many questions that go into this organization right now before we can ever expect the product within the hashes on Sundays at one o'clock to move past garbage, the basement of the NFC East, which is where this team is right now. They are completely irrelevant. Every single home game that Washington has is turned into a home away from home game for the visitor. Guys, Washington had a music contest at halftime, I believe it was today. They couldn't even find a commander's kid or fan in the stands to come down wearing commander's gear. They had a, a, a dad with a kid wearing Dolphins stuff, and the kid threw on a Commander's Pepsi-sponsored jersey. This is stuff that we talked about when Dan Snyder and that regime was here, to where Washington, FedEx Field's a junkyard. It still is a junkyard, and the product is not good enough, and it's still not good enough. 
And I look at everybody up top that's in charge of building this roster and seeing the football players that were out there today, where the effort on either side of the ball, specifically in the trenches and at the linebacker level, or at the second level of the defense, was a complete joke. Watching Cody Barton today look like an eight-year-old that his first time ever putting on a helmet. It was a flat-out joke. Couple nice plays from Jamin Davis in the first quarter on opportunities to where linebackers should make a play in the fringe areas of a defense as a first-round pick. I'm not going to get excited about that. Percy Butler breaking up a play on Tyreek Hill. I believe it was that second half or whenever it was on the sideline. And he goes and celebrates and you're down 30 at that point. What are we doing? What are we doing? There is no expectation to even compete in football games right now. And that starts, even though, again, Ron Rivera is not playing. Martin Mayhew, Marty Herney, they're not playing. But they are building this roster. Trying to jigsaw the pieces on offense, defense, and special teams to build a championship roster. Because there's not a single team in football that goes into every single year to say, uh, we're playing to tank. We're playing to be a wild card fringe team. We're playing to maybe make it past the divisional round. Every team's goal is to make it to the Super Bowl and lift the Lombardi Trophy every single year. Now, it's the media's job. It's my job to look at it from a 10,000 foot view and provide those limitations and those thresholds of each team. But when you look at this Washington roster, guys, not just last year, again, this was a team that was looked upon as a what? A quarterback away. And this team made the decision to bring in Carson Wentz. The decisions continue to pile up. Ron Rivera, coaching, quote-unquote, leading, quote-unquote, making the calls, quote-unquote, simplifying, quote-unquote, the defense this week. And the first play that you give up on your first third down as the quote-unquote defensive coordinator, the first check that you make, because you said you're going to simplify the checks this week and just let guys play freely, is to put a rookie in Quan Martin over Tyreek Hill. And man, 78-yard hookup. That's what we saw today. Third and two. Miami's first third and two of the ball game. 78 yards to, uh, to Tyreek. It was playground football. It was just throw it up, have him run under it. But to throw Quan Martin in there with no help over the top is just, it's unthinkable. It's, you don't do it. it I, I mentioned it in the pregame podcast. One of the 10 commandments in football, you do not run man against the Miami Dolphins. You don't. You run zone. Why? Because they have athletes that can run unlike anybody in football in Tyreek Hill, and Jalen Waddell, and Raheem Mostert, and Devon Chan. They can all run. They're all 4-2 runners. All of them can fly. No matter what their 40 times specifically can say, they're all former track guys that are a hell of football players. They can flat out fly. The fastest guy on Washington's roster is probably Terry McLaurin. And he had no catches today, and the guy doesn't play defense. But you're going to line a rookie in one-on-one situation where nobody in football, I don't care if you're the top corner in football, can cover Tyreek Hill. You line him in man on third and two. That just, there, there's no excuse for that. No excuse. Going down my notes here just a little bit. We talk a lot about how this offense is so pass happy. You're down 17 out in the first quarter. What are you supposed to do? You're trying to compete, right? Of course you're going to throw the football. And you look at it, muggy day, foggy day at FedEx Field, and Sam only threw for 23 times. Because that ball game, you weren't even competitive. You're not even trying to chase the ball game or make plays. 
I thought Sam did a nice job in the red zone, trying to make plays with his feet, where he's tough, made some throws where guys were in his face. Those are good things. But 85% of the time today, he had no time to throw. Guys consistently around his feet and around his face and arms in his throwing lanes. Where he's asked to play hero ball and make throws outside the pocket and throws that are just not normal from the quarterback position. He has no confidence under center to be able to sit back comfortably and read multiple progressions. If the first read isn't open, he's either getting sacked or having to escape outside the pocket and create Sandlot plays, right? Drawing in the dirt or trying to run the football. We saw him slide today, which is a nice job. Carried it four times for 21 yards. I thought he did a really good job in trying to create outside of the pocket. But this offensive line, again, nothing. You cannot protect. I mentioned the pregame pot. I hope you guys tuned into that. I talked about Andrew Van Ginkle stepping up for Jalen Phillips and how at times this year, when he had more than 10 snaps a game, he could take over a ball game where he had games with eight pressures, five pressures, multiple sacks. And you saw him today. He didn't have any sacks, but I'm sure when we look at the pressure numbers coming out in the next 12 hours, that he had at least, I'm going to say at least five or six, seven pressures. And he had a pick six as a defensive lineman. You guys remember the days of Ryan Kerrigan picking off screen plays as a five-tech edge rusher. That was a hell of a play from Van Ginkle. A hell of a play. Now you could credit that pick six on Andrew Wiley because Sam couldn't see him. Couldn't see Van Ginkle, excuse me, because Wiley was right in his throwing lane, but it's a hell of a play. And on that situation, you could even ask, you could blame it on Sam Howell because at the snap, you should see where the safety is, where the corners are. Do you have the numbers outside to where you can establish that screenplay and then work up field? And at that time, he didn't. So he should have thrown that ball over the guy's head or into the dirt. But of course, make it a forward pass. Just throw it at his feet. Those are advanced things that he has to process quickly at the line of scrimmage, right? Those pre-snap responsibilities. But when the offensive line cannot give you any time to throw, and on the contrary, when you watch Miami, who gets the ball out, Quicker than anybody in football, right? Talked about it pregame. 2.3 on average seconds time to throw. They allow them to work on crossers. And if they want to take a vertical shot, they'll th- to throw it up and let their guy run right under it. The safety depth for Washington this week was absolutely abysmal. To make it 24-7. After the Van Ginkle pick six, Washington goes down. Beautiful drive. That's when Sam Howell hits Curtis Samuel on the wheel play. With David Long on him. So that's a matchup you went to the line of scrimmage. That was a very nice throw. And Washington goes down and scores on that Sam Howell touchdown. But then right after that, it's Tyree Kill's second touchdown of the first half. He had over 130 yards in the first half alone. And if they can, if Washington continued to score points on offense and Miami continued to try to push it, Tyree Kill would have gone over probably, probably 250 yards on the day. He would have had a DJ Moore Thursday night football game that we saw months ago. That's the type of game that Tyreek Hill would have had. But on that second touchdown to make it 24-7, the safety depth on that play was... There, there's just no excuse for that either. I talked about Quan Martin one-on-one and man earlier in the game. Then you come right back where Tyreek Hill is one-on-one against Kendall Fuller and the help over the top is a single high safety in Percy Butler and at the line of scrimmage, he is 15 yards off of the ball. 15 yards against Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. 
There is no reason to him for him to be shallower than 25 yards. You have to play deep. When you think you're deep, take another step back. Think about baseball when you have a no doubles defense. What does that mean? The damn center fielder, left fielder, and right fielder have their ass on the warning track. Everything in front of them. Everything. Percy Butler has some decent range. Can he run with Tyreek Hill? Hell no. Hell no. But you have to be deep enough to at least be there and try to make a play. The play that he broke up on Tyreek Hill in that ballgame, on the sideline, to where it was a little bit of a high-low, to where Tua throws it over Kendall Fuller. Kendall looked like he was getting some depth, but it still didn't work. And Percy made a decent play at the sideline. If he was in college, it looked like Tyreek Hill would have still made the play. But on that second touchdown, to be 15 yards off as the single high safety, why Washington, again, is in man there with just one high safety? Who knows? But this is now the Ron Rivera defense. I can't sit here and say this is Jack Del Rio scheming things up. This was Ron Rivera. That's his approach. And the number one rule that you know in this offense is to limit the fringes, force them back inside as much as you can, rally to the football, and nothing over your head. And you allowed 130 yards alone from Tyreek Hill in the first half. That was the number one rule against Miami, against a fast, uber-athletic offense with a quarterback that wants to make his living inside the pocket. Imagine if this offense was led by a guy like Lamar Jackson, where he could also run, or not even a Lamar, a Brock Purdy, to where he can escape a little bit more than Tua Tungavailoa. Not saying Tua's not a good athlete, because he is, and he escaped a couple times today, but he wants to make his living 75 to 85% of the time inside the tackles. And that's what he did today. But it was just seven on seven for the Dolphins today. Intermediate routes, screens, tosses, and then taking those shot plays deep against a single high safety. I don't get it. You don't run man against Miami and you don't play single high. You play too high and try to force everything underneath and into the intermediate areas. And Washington just flat out couldn't do it. This is a historically bad defense. I've been following this this team since I was young, right? Since I was conscious, eight, nine years old. I am now 27. This is the worst Washington defense that I have ever seen. I know some of you out there are probably following it longer. But unfortunately, really since the late 90s, before that, Washington was really damn good. You guys know that. Don't need to go over that. Don't need to go over those years when Washington won three Super Bowls consistently in the NFC East hunt, consistently making NFC championship berths under Joe Gibbs, primarily. Now, it's just trying to hold teams under 40. 50 at this point. 45 weeks. Hey, at least they're showing some sort of consistency, right? For Allowing 45 in back-to-back weeks. Hey, it's pretty good if you ask me. That's consistency. It's abysmal. It's disgusting. And I do not know what the immediate future is for this franchise. Because you still have good opponents coming up down the road. And I want to see them try to compete in football games. But from where this team has gone, from the first year in Washington of Ron Rivera, that was not perfect, but a team that competed. We could say that. We can say that the Commanders competed in year one under Ron Rivera. Into the playoffs, 
right? That's a pretty good year. You make it in the playoffs. I'm not going to talk about the record at that time and winning the NFC East. You look at the history of that of that season in the COVID year, and they won the division. That's it. They won the division, and they deserved to make the playoffs, and they played their asses off against Tampa Bay and made the Buccaneers, led by Tom Brady, make them earn everything on offense and defense in that football game. But we've come so far from them, from there in the worst way. All of FedEx Field today was Dolphins fans. All you saw was that teal aqua color in the lower bowl. If you guys were out there, I tip your cap to you. Washington still has one of the best fan bases in all of football. And in my opinion, in sports. Because through the ups and the really drastic downs, which we're in now, you guys always stick with them. Always be excited for what potentially may come. What the potential is. But guys, the word potential gets people fired. And right now, when I see what this roster is, from an execution standpoint, at the most minimalistic level, it's just not there to compete at the NFL level. Linebackers can't fit the run. Offensive tackles can't block anybody one-on-one. The receivers can't separate. Your tight ends were, again, non-existent today, both as blockers and in space. The corners, the secondary, have no idea who to cover who, what coverage you're in, who's passing off to who, let alone any ability to play one-on-one down the field without drawing a flag. I mean, we saw it earlier in that ball game. K.J. Henry makes a nice play on the toss, right? Washington defense finally gets a stop. Punts it down the field. Jamison Crowder, fair catch at the 50, right? Miami kicks it inside their own 15. Good stop for Washington's defense, finally, right? They kick it. Crowder, 50, throwing up his hand. And the flag goes out. De'Ami Brown holding on special teams. That's discipline. That's execution. You're going to get the ball at the 50, and instead you get it at the 40, 35, whatever it was. Little things like that. You finally get a stop, and then you hold. From De'Ami Brown's perspective, you should know immediately in your head, hmm, he's kicking it from the 10. He's probably not going to pass the 50. I know Jamison could probably take it 5, 10 yards. Just don't hold. If he's got a fair catch, he's going to fair catch it. We're going to get it past the 25, where it usually is if there's a touchback. He had it at the 50, and he holds on the perimeter. There's just no excuse for that. No excuse. It's little things. Deron Payne, John Allen, in the middle, where it starts, completely taken out of the game plan. John Ridgway, Phil Mathis, they weren't there either. No pressure from anybody on the edge in in the passing game. Didn't see it at all today. Now, they do get the ball out quick. We all know that. And they did it today and they've done it all year and they will continue to do that. But there was no success from anybody on the defensive side of the ball again today. I can't look at one person or a group of guys and say, wow, I really enjoyed watching them today. Every single level was inept. You can't cover in man because you tried to in the first quarter for whatever reason. And whatever game you're playing, not just today, where you don't run man against Miami, but you did anyway, especially on third and two in press with a rookie on Tyree Kill. That, I, I, no words for that, guys. I, absolutely no words. And then you try to run zone and guys don't know where they're supposed to sit in, in, in the respective zones. Miami tried to force Washington a lot of high-low concepts. So forcing that, that field corner, usually Kendall Fuller, to be with that 5-10 to 10 yard range of line of scrimmage where they'll send a corner up and out 
and they'll send the guy in the flat, meaning a high-low concept. If he stays low, he's going high. If he goes high, he's going to come low in the flat and create a one-on-one scenario in the open field. That's what Miami did a lot today. They have a lot of three-level concepts where in the flat, over the middle, and then deep. They just took advantage of whatever Washington wanted to try to do on defense and whatever bodies they threw out there. They just took advantage of it. It was athletes versus athletes, and it was varsity playing the freshman team. Again this week. And it really shows you how far away Washington is from competing with the elites of the NFL. This is a team that's probably going to win at least 11 games this year. Speaking Miami. They're probably going to win 11 games. And they're going to be in the AFC playoffs. And who the hell knows? This team could potentially win a Super Bowl. Who knows? That offense is ridiculous. The skilled players they have are fantastic to watch. Their execution, the uniqueness in the run game, what they're doing from an offensive line perspective, how quick they get the ball out, and allow their athletes to be athletes in space. Both Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle had five catches today. Jalen Waddle only had five for 52. His longest of the day was 16. So Washington held Jalen Waddle relatively in check. It is fantastic watching him. If you guys didn't watch him coming out of Alabama or watched him his first few years in Miami, the way in which he runs routes accelerates and cuts at full speed is like you're pressing fast forward and watching him play football. That is Jalen Waddle. And at any time, either of those two can go off. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Miami's offense is second all time in points, or excuse me, in yards per play right now. Second only to the greatest show on turf of the Rams back in the early 2000s. And Tyreek, and, and third on that list, again, Miami's second, third on the list was the Chiefs. I believe it's 2019. Tyree Kill was both on that Chiefs offense and this offense. So this is a unbelievable offensive attack to where not many defenses in, in the entire league can limit this team. But it just shows you how much Washington has to grow up and execute at a much higher level and get bodies in the building that are able to execute and try to limit this type of offense at a higher clip, being able to put a corner potentially in that five-yard contact window and force Tyree Kill to the outside and have a safety quick enough to come over the top if, he tried, if Tua tries to layer it over. Or have a safety if you want to play single high with a guy like Percy Butler. Don't play him at 15 yards. Play him at 25 yards. And if the guy wants to take the shot, have, Percy, have a safety that's able to flip his hips and get over there. But again, that comes down to depth and where he is pre-snap. That's coaching. So that comes down to talent and coaching and execution. Three things just right there on that play alone. So moving in, again, week 14, Washington is on a bye. Week 15, they're back at it on the road in Los Angeles. This week, I will have a podcast out for you guys, most likely on Thursday, talking about draft prospects to know in the 2024 draft. It's a, it's a podcast I'm excited for because it'll maybe get you guys excited and some positivity about Washington moving forward and how this evaluation process may churn out for Washington. Offense and defense, we're going to go into it all. Names to know, whether it's popular names that you're hearing that are going to be in the CFP or names under the radar from some group of five schools. We're going to get into all of that stuff. Athletes that fit this scheme, offense and defense, not trying to draft guys and pigeonhole them. The evaluation process is a whole other thing that we will, again, get more into as we move forward into these next few months. 
But on Thursday, we'll talk 2024 NFL Draft and some names to know moving forward. But that is going to do it for today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed. If you did, always appreciate your likes and your shares on on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. I'm on Twitter. If you do not follow me there already, at underscore Ryan Fowler. And all my written work is housed at Bleacher Report. Again, I will have a podcast out for you guys next Thursday. I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your Sunday evening. Hope you guys enjoy the start of your work week. I know it's never fun seeing Washington lose games. We've seen them lose a lot of games this last month and a half of the year. But at 4-9 on the bye week, we'll see what happens. Guys, could be the next hour, could be the next day. Maybe it won't happen. That Washington makes a change up top. It's needed, if anything. I expect it to happen. Sooner rather than later. Maybe that later is at the end of the season. But we will see. A change has to be made for what we are seeing on offense and defense right now from this commander's group. And it starts with Ron Rivera, with Jack Del Rio out of town, and a couple of positive things today from the offense that we saw at times. You guys can't sit there and blame it on Sam Howell, Eric Bieniemy, and say they were terrible. No, they were not good. But there were times where there's some flashes there. And you can look to the offense and say that at times, if the defense was any sort of, they could stop anybody, that this offense could keep them in games. And we saw that in the early portions of the season. Because remember, this Washington team started 2-0, and to start this season with wins against Arizona and Denver. That seems like a long time ago, and I know I'm searching for positives because today was not pretty, and last week was not pretty, and the week before that was not pretty. So everybody is to blame. But you guys know me here. I'm always trying to search for some sort of positivity to focus on how to build this organization back to what it once was. And I know that was 30 years ago, but damn it, it's frustrating. And I want this team to be better. You guys deserve better. We all deserve better. The burgundy and gold used to mean something, guys. It used to mean something. Sundays at 1 o'clock or wherever Washington kicked off was always a time people would rally around the burgundy and gold. Whether they were the Redskins, whether they were the Washington football team, or whether they were the Commanders. It didn't matter. It used to mean something because people got pumped up to watch this football team. Instead of turning it on and going, oh, what are we going to expect today? How much are we going to lose by today, guys? It's not funny. And it's not a joke. And it's a shame that this team is where they are right now. And allowing it to get here in year four of a regime, it's completely unacceptable. So again, hope you guys enjoy the rest of your weekend. Hope you guys enjoy the start of your work week. I'll have an episode out for you guys on Thursday to talk 2024. NFL Draft. Again, always appreciate your time. I'm Ryan Fowler, and this is Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit